Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast back in a big way. I got to say our last episode, a lot of reaction to it. It's, it's been fantastic. And I think it's a, it's a matter of timing, right? I mean, we had a great guest, but it's really because of, of the COVID-19 happening and so many people are looking for work. You know, many businesses are starting to reopen. The companies are contemplating returning to the office. And really as a result of that, employees and employers both are dealing with anxiety and uncertainty returning to work. I mean, whether it's due to health concerns or a complete change of routine, anxiety returning to work is very real for so many people. And at the core, it's really a result of the COVID-19 virus itself. I mean, the stats reflect one in three Americans are dealing with depression or anxiety because of it. And that will most likely carry over into the workplace. Now, that brings me to my guest today, Michelle E. Dickinson, who will be sharing expert tips and strategies to help ease anxiety with the imminent return to work after COVID-19, and also how to be a culture change agent within your specific company. Now, to give you some background on Michelle, she is a passionate mental health advocate, a TED speaker, and a published author of a memoir entitled Breaking Into My Life which chronicles her healing journey of self-discovery after years of playing the role of a child caregiver. Now, Michelle is also committed to improving the lives of youth. As a past volunteer with court-appointed special advocates, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and serving as a big sister with the big brothers and big sisters, elevating the well-being of our youth matters to her. Now, Michelle's volunteer work led her to create her own children's program called Perfect, Just the Way You Are. This program was designed to help youth better understand how to nourish the body and the mind and has reached over 2,000 children and their families in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania over the past five years. Now, the program recently evolved into a school-wide and student-led mental health wellness fair. Her intentions are to touch as many children's lives with this program so the children proactively develop a healthy relationship to brain health. Now, her work and her advocacy has led her to be featured in ABC, Forbes, and Fox, just to name a few. Michelle, it's great to have you on the show today. Welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Brian, thank you so much, and thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, anytime, anytime. You have such an amazing journey. You know, it's tough to, you know, where it, where it began. I mean, you talk about in the book the, the trifecta of mental health. That's what kind of drew me into it. Maybe you can help our audience better understand what that means. Sure, sure, yeah. So I grew up with a mother who had bipolar disorder, and that was the subject of my memoir, Breaking Into My Life. So that's the first of the three pieces of experience that I have. Two years ago, I was diagnosed with depression, so I understand what it's like to not only care for someone with a mental illness, but then also to suffer from depression. And then uh, prior to leaving my uh, last company, my Fortune 50 company, I helped create a culture of compassion through a lot of different efforts that we did to really create inclusion for people with invisible disabilities. So, um, yeah, I, I created Trifecta Mental Health with a mission to um, reduce suffering and create a normal conversation around mental health and create cultures of compassion in the workplace. That's great. Is, do you find that people, there's such a stigma around mental health that it's a very difficult subject to talk about? Are people kind of averse to talking about it or are they more open these days? You know, I think people need permission to um, talk about it in, 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 for so many people. I mean, I think we've made a lot of progress. Like when I was a little girl at caring for my mom, I was very embarrassed and concealed it as a secret where today I do feel like we're talking about it more. And I think one of the silver linings of COVID is that more and more people are being affected 
by um, having some type of mental health imbalance, which is really going to help, I think, really um, remove the stigma uh, more so now than ever. So um, I like to say that my role is a bridge and I bridge you to a conversation so you're aware of how you're feeling. And then ultimately, if you're aware of how you feel, you can do something about it. And if that leads you to clinical support, then then I'm really happy that I could be a part of that. Um, but we have to do more to normalize the conversation so people are comfortable with it. Definitely, definitely. Now, as far as anxiety goes, you know, many people experience it, but they're not sure what, what it really is, and they don't recognize that they actually have it. I know that on the outside, everything looks hunky-dory, and they think they're okay, but they internalize it, and there's effects that, uh, that happen because of it. Is there any steps that people can take to recognize the fact that they do have anxiety and they're suffering from it? Yeah, I think, you know, anxiety is one of those things that, um, you know, we think that worrying actually will help us arrive at a better solution, but actually it will only make us feel anxious and stressed. So I think, you know, we live in a time where we don't feel like we have control. There's a lot of uncertainty around us um, and uncertainty breeds fear and fear makes us anxious, et cetera. Um, I think in general, it's normal to be experiencing these things because we've never had to navigate a pandemic before. And, and I think everyone's fearful of getting COVID, which is perfectly normal because we want to stay healthy. So what I like to remind people to do is to focus on what you absolutely have control over and try to give up the rest because we actually do have more control than we think we do. Um, we can protect ourselves by wearing a mask. We can wash our hands and use hand sanitizer. We, we can, uh, you know, obviously um, social distance and we can avoid touching our face. I mean, those are the basic things that we can do and that will give us a degree of control back. But then there's the other piece around strengthening your immune system, you know, doing what you can to take care of your health proactively, gut health, you know, eating well, getting rest, hydration, all those things. Like when you think about it, Brian, we really do have a lot more control than, than we think we do. No, it's true. I, I agree 100%. It's, it's tough when you have the media giving you such a differing points of view and different signals, right? Yes. You, get, you get completely caught up in this, become politicized, which of course is a big mistake because people obviously buy into what they're hearing on their favorite newscast and you're hearing one side say that it's completely manufactured. There's no danger whatsoever. And the other side is we need to lock ourselves completely down. So, you know, what, yeah. what's the real data? Nobody really knows. So we're in such unprecedented time. And I think that's led to some of the anxiety, really not understanding what this really is, what we're really up against. And as businesses, you know, contemplate reopening, obviously the CDC has its hand in the, trying to protect these organizations and they have to sometimes completely restructure. So I think as a, a business owner, there's a lot of anxiety as well, not knowing how they're going to keep their business going. I mean, whether it be a restaurant business, which has to fill at a quarter capacity concert venues where you have to social distance uh, or even a normal office having to put cubicles six feet apart and break rooms and lunches, everything is completely changed. So it's, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this thing plays out. Right. Right. And I think it's important to, I mean, I, I love the employers who are like, we're not going to be returning to physical or physical workplaces until you know next year because what you're doing by um, by saying that is you're giving employees permission to control their environment right and so I think that's really good um, because you know of course what's not good is we're distanced from our own colleagues but with technology we can stay connected and employees can take care of their well-being 
emotionally, mentally, and physically by allowing them the ability to work from home. You know, I think that's amazing that employers are doing that for a lot of people. Yeah, no, it really is. It's one of those things where, you know, school just got back in session and all the kids now have to work virtually. Yeah. And some very young kids, I happen to have two very young kids myself. And, you know, it's the, f- the first time using a computer and my, my first grader can't even read and they're asked to go on Zoom and do all of these technical things. And it's very difficult. So you have to have a parent there to help navigate that. And obviously you need an employer who is willing to be flexible and allowing yeah. you to stay home and work remotely. And it's just a whole unprecedented time. Now, do you think the number one anxiety returning to work is more health related, fearing that you may be exposed to the virus or it's a change of routine? The fact that either A, you've been laid off due to COVID-19, so you've been out of action for a while and you're looking to re-enter the workforce or it's one of those things where, hey, I've been working from home for the past months and now I have to actually get back into a routine of getting back into the office. There's some kind of a fear and anxiety there. What do you think? Is it kind of split equally or is there one that, that outranks the yeah, other? Yeah. I do think, I, I think it's split. I mean, I, um, over the past few months, um, out of a request from my clients, I've been delivering a resilience program. And one of the things in the resilience program is, um, going back to what you said about media is limiting the amount of media you're consuming, but then also maintaining a schedule, a structure, because we need structure in our lives. So, you know, it could be that people had just lost structure and now this is like, okay, um, coming, coming back from this period of time where everything was very, you know, blended together. It could be. Um, but honestly, I started to deliver my resilience program to educators and you know, yesterday when I was talking to 30 plus teachers who are very concerned about going back to school, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that they're having around, oh my goodness, am I going to go to school? Am I going to get COVID and bring it home to my children? Or is a child in my classroom going to get COVID from another child? I mean, that's scary for them. So, you know, they're just trying to figure it out too. So I think it's both. I think it's I have to return to an entirely new and different space. So psychologically it's hard. Um, and, you know, and then of course people don't want to, they don't want to get COVID because it'll affect their family, you know? So. For sure. Absolutely. I think, you know, you're right. The two, two big fears are the unknown and change. And we've been dealing with that uh, in spades these past uh, few months. And of course, going into when we return to normal, if that ever happens, right? When that's on the horizon. Now, I love it. You know, we talk a lot about on the podcast culture, you know, especially in, in companies and how to create a really good winning culture. And we talk about culture fits between businesses and employees and things of that nature. And you created five steps to cultivating a culture of compassion. And we'd love to, for you to kind of define that, talk about that and, and why that's so important these days. Yeah, cultivating a culture of compassion. Um, you know, I I firsthand had the experience of doing that at my former, you know, Fortune 50 company, which which really was amazing to witness, right? So, you know, most companies really make an effort to create workplaces for physically impaired or physically challenged people, right, with ramps and things and whatever other accommodations they need, but but there's an opportunity to create inclusion, true inclusion for those with invisible disabilities and accommodations that they need. So when I was with my company, I was on a leadership team for a mental health 
employee resource group and we were driving change. We were causing more open dialogue. We were creating a storytelling platform where employees who were courageous could go first, could tell their story and create a relatedness within the company of other employees who were like, oh man, I deal with that. And it wasn't always the employee that was the sufferer. It was, I care for someone at home with a mental illness and it's taking its toll on me. So I think um, employers need to recognize going back to work, especially after COVID, people who have never experienced a mental health challenge are coming back to work with some type of PTSD or some type of mental health imbalance because it's not normal for us to be quarantined away from, from other people. So it's really a good idea to start looking at what you're doing in your company um, to have well-being, mental well-being, a common conversation where people don't feel like they have to hide it. That's a great point. I was going to ask if you think that it should be a, we should talk it out a little bit more, meaning in a company to have a, a breakout sessions where you actually share your feelings about these things, where you can rely on one another, or whether you agree with the, the stance where we are just going to come to work, not talk about anything, leave it at the door, you know, check it at the door, and we're not going there. What do you think? What's the best approach to this, do you think, yeah. to a healthy environment? Yeah. And so, honestly, can we, really, can we really leave our authentic selves at home and come in and fake it? I mean, I feel like that's such a disservice to us as human beings to try to have to put on a mask and pretend that you know, we left our mental health challenge at home. Um, I, I don't think it needs to be a... a a group therapy session and I think that's always the fear is like oh now we're gonna we're gonna become less productive because we're gonna be sitting around talking about our feelings no I, I think it's it's creating a culture where you know you have senior leaders willing to go first and tell their story um, making it okay to talk about it and then educated about where people can go so if you're a people leader and you see your employees struggling and you know you have internal resources you can connect them to, you know, why not talk about it and say, hey, you know, this is what's available and you need to know about that, you know. Um, it's really about trust and treating employees like people, you know, and because I think when people feel heard, understood, um, and appreciated for what they are able to bring to the table, um, you're going to get the best performance and the best performance is going to get you the best results as a company. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a great point. I know that your position also is that for every dollar spent investing in mental health in the workplace is a three to five dollar return. Um, maybe you want to talk about that and what the impact that would have on a business. Yeah, it's keeping employees in their seat working, right? And I'm not saying this for chronic for someone who's having a crisis or a mental a major mental health um, upset. I'm, I'm talking about um, an an employee who just by being connected, maybe you have a peer-to-peer -peer community at work, or maybe you have resources easily accessible. The more you keep the employee engaged and working, that's actually better for their well-being. You know, if you can accommodate them, suppose they, they just need to, you know, have, they need to work from home more. And now it's sort of like the norm, but like meeting them where they are so you can get the, the best out of them because that's also going to help them feel like a contributor. Um, when I say the, the, the financial impact is, you know, an employee goes out on disability, then you have a gap in work 
you know, workload has to be covered. They are out of work. They stay out of work. It's harder to get them back in. Then there's the embarrassment and the shame that still goes along with a mental illness. And, it, you know, oh, you know, because the culture isn't accepting of that. So there are a lot of things that companies can do to cultivate an open conversation, a comfortable, um, compassionate workplace, uh, shame-free, you know, um, so the employee uh, that does go out, it doesn't feel it like that coming back or the employee who maybe just needs um, therapy and wants to keep working stays engaged. Uh, so there's, you know, the financial impact is you keep your employees working, you know, if you can. And that is very, very important for keeping your disability costs down. No, absolutely. That's a good point. It, you know, it's, you never really think about this much because sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, we don't really talk about it a lot. But, uh, you know, in the workplace, as an example, there are many people that, you know, not only themselves, they're dealing with anxiety, but they have a connection to somebody, especially now during COVID, that could have a mental illness or, or suffering from anxiety, whether it be a spouse or a child or a family member they're taking care of. Do you think that translates and that some of that carries over into the workplace uh, or some oh, of that anxiety transfers yeah. over to that person? You said it. You absolutely said it, Brian. That's it. If you even, if, I mean, like someone once said to me, you know, growing up with a mother who was bipolar, it wasn't just my mother that was bipolar. The entire family unit is impacted. I don't, I, I don't care what anyone says. They are impacted. My life was impacted. My father's life was impacted and we were not sick. So absolutely that employee is, is shouldering that at home and then going into work or trying to work. And they have that, they have that burden or that sense of responsibility they, that they want to care for their loved ones. So absolutely, you're spot on with that. You know, it's interesting. I was watching this movie um, called Joker. I don't know if you've seen it. It's with a Joaquin Phoenix. Have you seen it? I don't think so. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, it's a streaming now on HBO. But it's, uh, yeah, it's about the origin story about the Joker, you know, obviously from the Batman comics uh, and the movies. But uh, the reason I mention it is because you watch this movie and he's dealing with mental health issues, obviously, and taking medication. That's a big part of the movie. But you wonder if Hollywood is making light of that situation, making light of, of mental health issues or mentally ill people, or is it kind of drawing attention to it that it actually needs attention and this is a serious thing? What do you think as far as pop culture or in business, do you think this is something that's kind of swept under the rug and it's, hey, it's not affecting me, so I don't want to hear about it? Or do you think now we're more often than not embracing the fact that we need to get involved and understand a little bit better and being a little bit more compassionate uh, you know, and empathetic to be able to help these people out and, and make society a little bit better? What do you think? Yeah, I love that question. And I think we've seen a lot of really amazing examples in, um, in the media uh, in terms of pop culture. And, you know, you have artists like Lady Gaga talking about mental health. and She's got her monsters, people that are her, her followers, but she's talking about mental health. You have a lot of other um, celebrities and athletes talking about it, like the Philadelphia Eagle that left the field because of anxiety last year, right? And right. he openly tweeted about it. I live with this every day and this day I could not keep it under control. So these people are doing mental health a huge service by just, you know, being honest and authentic about what they deal with. It gives others permission to feel okay about it. Um, so I think we have a lot of, we, we've made a lot of progress and I think it's great when I hear those examples. Um, 
but I also think it takes courage for us here to go first and, and start talking about it and normalizing it. And, you know, one of the things I do in my webinar before we even get going is I ask people to look at a chart and identify how they're feeling right now, because sometimes we're just so busy that we don't even acknowledge how we feel. And if we're not acknowledging how we feel, we can't allow loved ones to help us. So we have to first acknowledge how we feel, raise our hand if we need support before it escalates and give others the ability to be a contribution to us. Um, but we're oftentimes too busy or we ignore it or we have our own biases about mental health. Oh, that's not me. That's so-and-so. I have this illusion that this is what mental illness is and I'm not ill. So we have to recognize our own unconscious biases as well. Definitely, definitely. So as far as business owners, if you had advice to business owners out there bringing people back into the office or, you know, kind of returning to life as usual as we know it from COVID and knowing that there's so many people out there that have anxiety that they're dealing with, uh, you know, returning to the workforce, matriculating back into the office, what advice would you give them or some steps to help ease that transition, to help people feel comfortable? Uh, maybe it's not a hundred percent because it's going to be tough, right? You have to get in there and, and figure it out and see and take it step by step and see how it goes. What do you think would help business owners put them in the best possible position to bring people in yeah. and help deal with the anxiety of coming back to the office? Yeah, be real. Be real. You go first. If you're a leader of an organization, go first. Talk about how you navigated this pandemic. Open up a dialogue about it so people have permission to just be human beings. I think a leader setting the tone and talking about how they navigated this pandemic, highlighting what mental health support is available to employees, um, making it okay to talk about it is everything. If you want loyal employees, let them know how much you care and, and be willing to go first. Be willing to not look perfect. Be willing to tell your own story or have a leader um, who has navigated something come out the other side and be the beacon of hope um, for employees. And, you know, I'm sorry, but we are, we are people before we are an employee number. So the more you treat people like human beings, um, the better connected they're going to feel, the more loyal they're going to feel. Um, and, you know, and obviously make sure you have great uh, mental health coverage and resources available. That's well said. Very good. Very good. And also, Maybe some advice to the actual employees themselves that are returning that are feeling some of that anxieties and thinking, man, I'm not sure, you know, yeah. health-wise, maybe I'm covered health-wise if I take yeah. the proper precautions, but, but the change, you know, yeah. it's kind of the unknown. I've been doing this for so long. I'm a little bit nervous getting back and matriculating back into society here, uh, you know, leaving the home and my comfort zone. I'm kind of stepping out of it again, even though I've done this before, it's a whole new world out there. What do you think would help these people mm -hmm. kind of ease their anxiety and help them? get the best foot forward coming back into work. Yeah. So I would say as, as counterintuitive as this might sound, consider adopting a positive daily activity into your routine before you even set out the door to go back into the workplace. And the reason I say that is if you engage in something that's pleasant and active, you're going to feel pleasure and you're going to enjoy it, but you're also going to have a sense of achievement, which is going to result in control. So if you, for example, say, before I even go to work today, I'm going to go for a long walk and it's going to be 30 minutes and I'm going to do that, you're going to come back, have a sense of achievement, and that's going to give you a sense of control. It's a little piece of control, but it's something that you have. 
The other thing is give yourself grace and don't beat yourself up. This is really hard what we're dealing with. Um, focus on taking the right actions and that's going to help you manage your anxiety. And then above all, like you want to also make sure that you have some breathing techniques because you can very easily step aside when you're feeling anxious and tap into some breathing exercises. If you, if you know anything about the breath, the breath is the only reliable bridge between the conscious mind and the subconscious. So if you can train yourself in rhythmic breathing in stressful situations, you're going to perform better. And then uh, finally, above all, what I would absolutely make sure is if you're unable to manage them, take your symptoms very seriously and seek out and get clinical support if you can't manage them on your own. That's great advice. Thank you for that. Um, are there any groups that you know of that would maybe help people uh, dealing with anxiety in the workplace of like-minded individuals where they can uh, lean on that person for support? Uh, any, any groups that you yes. know of that could support yes. them? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question because sometimes people don't have people in their lives that they feel comfortable with. So there's a wonderful Slack-based community called 18%. That's the number 18 with percent written out.org. It's a anonymous, free, peer-to-peer -peer mental health community with channels because it's on, on Slack. So there's different channels for different topics. There's one for anxiety. So if you go in there, you'll talk to other people who who deal with it and you can get support, you can be anonymous and, and you can express how you're doing and um, there's great resources there and you know, it's free and anonymous. So why would you not? It's important to keep talking. So I, I really appreciate that you asked that question. Oh, absolutely. Now, as far as the, the book uh, breaking into life, any big key takeaways that you want to leave our audience with uh, as far as the book goes in your experience and your learnings from being in that position from a young a girl to now a thriving adult? You know, I learned to look at adversity as an opportunity to shape you. So like in my situation, you know, everyone says to me, I can't believe you made it through the abuse, everything that you lived through. But honestly, Brian, if I didn't live through that, I wouldn't be so connected to wanting to, you know, be the change in the world. So I, I guess my nugget is in, in the most challenging moments of adversity, just know and trust that it's shaping you into something bigger and something better, even if you can't get it now. I couldn't get it when my mother was beating the crap out of me, but now as a change agent, I'm grateful because I know what that experience was like. So trust. That's awesome. Many people are thanking you out there. Uh, and you've been a very great uh, positive change agent in many people's lives. So that's, that's wonderful. Last question, very last question. It's a personal question, just so we can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, you are on an island for the rest of your life. You can only take one book, one movie, and one album. What are they? Oh, wow. Well, you had me at island, Brian. That's a fantasy of mine. I always wanted to live on an island. There you go. Uh, it's your own private island, too, which is great. My private island? So a book? A book? Yeah, um, a book. A book. Uh, hmm. Oh my goodness, that's really hard. It is, I know, it's very hard. Maybe um, the book that I've been talking about a lot lately is Loving What Is by Byron Katie, which is about like not resisting your reality and accepting it for what it is. Great, okay. So I love that book. Yeah, that's a great book. A movie, it'd have to be something to laugh at. So I'm a huge fan of Uncle Buck, so it'd have to be Uncle Buck. <laughs> there you go, I like it. <laughs> and then what was the third one? Third one is an album. 
album? Hmm. 5150. By Van Halen? Yeah, man. All right. Yeah, like, so you are a Sammy, not a Dave, huh? Both. I don't think, I mean, I know a lot of people pick, but I'm sort of both. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Wolfgang Van Halen was recently asked that question, and he said the same thing, and people kept pushing him. He said, hey, I like both of them. If you miss out on one, you're missing on the entire Van Halen experience. I mean, exactly. Eddie wrote the music. You might as well enjoy all of it, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. There you go. I love it. I love it. And 5150 <laughs> goes perfectly with – there's no pun intended, right? With the <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Anything that you want to leave us with, any insight, words of wisdom uh, to leave our audience with before we wrap up? Yes. Um, So I would say don't assume that those that you love are okay. Always make sure that you're taking the the time to check in on them them and ask them if they're doing okay. Um, People suffer in silence and shame. uh, So I think if you keep opening the doorway that they know that you're there, they'll reach out to you if they need you. Um, but especially those that go silent on social media, just don't assume they're okay and extend yourself and ask them how they're doing. There you go. I love it. Now, how can anyone get a copy of the book or reach you? Yeah. So you can, you can order my book on Amazon um, or Barnes and Noble um, to reach out to me. The best thing to do is go through my website, michelledickinson.com. You can follow me on Instagram. It's michelledickinson71. Um, I'm always looking to support people who are out to cause change in their, in their companies. Like they don't have to necessarily be an HR or a leader. If they want to be the change in their company, I love empowering people to have those conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. I'm happy to support you. Great. Well, Michelle, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate you joining us. We've got some great information for our audience here uh, returning to work. And uh, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And best of luck with your endeavors. Hope we hope we keep in touch and maybe have you on again. Thank you, Brian. I'd love that. All right. You're welcome. It was great spending time with you today. Maybe you liked what you heard. Maybe we sparked some controversy. Maybe we got you excited. But hopefully we got you thinking. Hey, we want to hear from you. If the topic resonated with you, if you have a comment, or if you have an issue you're serious about fixing, reach out to us today. Hey, Brian, how can they get in touch with us? Great question, John. Best ways email. Email us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we're going to help you make small adjustments that's going to lead to major impacts in your business and your revenue.